At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is by you, and you're checking into the Line Drive Radio, welcome aboard, Wednesday's mission, October 4th, the day before it all goes down, yours truly, Mr. Paul Carpet, holding down the LDR board here, in the great state of New York, on the longest of islands, and it's time to bring on my Line Drive teammate, as always, Mr. Tab Manford, in the great city of Chicago, hey buddy, as always, what's going down? In Chi-Town. Hey, you know, the good news is uh, the two of us have rooting interests in these playoffs. Yours will be determined on uh, significantly on Tuesday night. I will have to wait a couple days for the White Sox and Astros to kick off. And uh, Wednesday night, I think both of us will be trolling our good friend Dennis Bernstein as his doyers take on uh, this, the, the fighting Redbirds from St. Louis. Yes, indeed. There will DB. be chirping of the Bernstein. Man, the fabulous life of Dennis Bernstein, man. This guy's oh, all over I the place. I think everybody wants to be Dennis when they grow up. Wow. Good for him, man. Hardest working man in, in sports that I know, next to you, bud. Absolutely. So here we are, pal. It's um, episode 28. First inaugural season here of Line Drive Radio. It's been a pleasure this whole run, and we've had a ton of fun. But now it gets serious, pal. We know who's in. We know what's got to be done. We've, uh, you know, predicted and talked about and watched all these teams and these players just go in and out and create incredible storylines all season long. And, buddy, here we go, man. It all starts tomorrow night. My Yankees took us through this weekend, having us to need uh, oxygen and defibrillators and stress. And it was, uh, you know, I guess at the end of it all, you couldn't you couldn't ask for it any other way, um, especially in baseball, man. It's just something about just kind of getting in, just watching Seattle. I mean, let's just start there, I guess, buddy. Just in terms of just real quick before we get into the series here coming up, but take a look at this weekend wrapping up this this pretty awesome season in here in uh, MLB. Yeah, and you know what? I think you bring up Seattle, and we talked about them the last few weeks. That team is going to be really good. Yeah, they had a really good year. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they took there were a couple of really nice emotional moments yesterday. One, the Washington Nationals, not in the playoff picture, uh, removed a franchise icon 
Ryan Zimmerman from the game for a defensive replacement late, and he got a well-deserved standing ovation. With all due respect to Bryce Harper, he is the greatest player in the history of that iteration of the franchise. Uh, I struggle to consider them still associated in some way with the Montreal Expos, even though for record-keeping purposes they are the same franchise. Um, but look, he was the first pick ever for the for the Washington Nationals, and he was a cornerstone for them for years, and you could tell that the emotions were there. And then, uh, you know, last night, Seattle in Seattle took one of their bedrocks, uh, Kyle Seeger, out of the game late for a defensive replacement, and even the outfielders jogged in uh, to give him a hug as he left the field, and there were tears flowing everywhere. After the game, shortstop J.P. Crawford was crying, talking about the impact that he's made on his life and his career and whether or not he can fill that leadership vibe. So, you know, two pretty cool moments. Seager, you know, coming out of a, a contract that a lot of people blasted for a big part of it because injuries kept him off the field. But just a great dude. I think he'll land somewhere. I don't know if Zimmerman will play again. He could probably retire and be very happy with a ring and the career that he put forward. But, um but, man, Seattle, Julio Rodriguez is still coming. They've got young guy. I mean, their outfield was young this year. Hanniger had an incredibly resurgent oh, season. Unbelievable. Um, you know, if not for Trey Mancini beating cancer, he'd probably be right there for the comeback player of the year. So Seattle had a great run. I think Houston's got a, you know, obviously they've got a postseason to deal with. But once the dust settles in November, I think Houston's got to be worried looking over their shoulder because – the difference between Seattle and Oakland is Seattle's got a trigger-happy GM who has no problem making a bold move. You know, he gave Robbie Cano a boatload of money to take him away from the Yankees and then destroyed the Mets in a trade to get rid of the contract to get Jared Kelnick. So, you know, tip of the cap to them, tip of the cap to the Toronto Blue Jays for making it interesting all the way to the 11th hour. They were in it all the way to the final day of the season, as were the Mariners. So, you know, those are a couple teams that are young enough that this was a learning curve season. And next year, I think both of those teams will come in with the eyes of their fans and, uh, you know, the interested parties in Vegas thinking that uh, there are playoff implications for how the seasons play out for both of them. So, uh, the American League was a lot of fun. The National League was incredible, too. I mean, the Dodgers and Giants were in it to the absolute last second. Giants, again, Gabe Kapler, don't even ask for somebody to vote for second place for the manager of the year in the National League. What he did in San Francisco was incredible. Dodgers have the second-best record in all of baseball, and they get to play a one-and-done against the Cardinals, who had to roll off you know, 17 in a row and whatever, 20 out of 22 down the stretch here to sprint into a wild card game. So, you know, here we are with, we've, I, we joked about it at times this year, but if you're a TV executive, this is light a cigarette and have a cold shower moment. You have four blue blood, long time franchises in winter go home games. You've got Cardinals at Giants and Yankees at Red Sox. And Yankees-Red Sox, obviously, there's the rivalry thing there. And Cardinals and Dodgers, you've got two passionate fan bases. So, you know, this is this is great. And you, you're going to have, you know, pitchers out there that have been doing it all year. 
um, you know, one specific guy who made a move during the season in the case of the Dodgers and has maybe run away with the National League Cy Young Award since the trade. So, I mean, this is exciting. And then, and then after the wild card games, you've got, you know, four compelling divisional series. It's an exciting time to be a baseball fan. And this season lived up to everything that we wanted going back to having butts in seats and having a full 162 game marathon. Once again, all 162 mattered at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's super stuff. And I guess, you know, real quick before we get into the, the playoff matches here and everything starting tomorrow night, what is your overall take here, Tab, on the season? You know, we know we – let's just take the regular season, the state of baseball. Uh, you know, lots of different things uh, thrown at the uh, the league this year, the players, whether it's the rule changes, uh, obviously the sticky stuff with baseball. Um, so let's – you know, the – the CBA, unfortunately, like I said, we got a great playoff and a World Series to look forward to here before we get into the – we'll have to worry about the business of baseball after this season's done. But just your take uh, on the regular season. We've talked about so many different topics, so many different players, a lot of milestones this year as well too. But I'd love to get just get, you know, get your, your uh, little summary of, of this baseball season maybe compared to, uh, to last. And, and this is, is this a, a really good solid stepping stone if they can get through the CBA and get on the other side and everything that me and you have talked about, about how great the game is, how exciting the players are, um, the, the way the wild card just really kept the baseball season and a lot of teams uh, relevant here these last two weeks. Just a quick take uh, maybe on this 2021 season before the, uh, the playoffs start. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, throughout this year, <clears throat> here on Line Drive Radio, we've gone with a format of the good and the bad. And so... For the sake of not ending on a Debbie Downer, I'll start with the bad from this year. I think you had some front office debacles. You know, it's the season started before it even began, before pitchers and catchers had even reported, with the president of the Mariners, which makes, again, them being as good as they were, so breathtaking, you know, getting himself fired for admitting that they were manipulating service time with Jared Kelnick because he didn't sign a long-term deal. And help them out financially. Um, and then you had the Mets, who had to fire their new GM because he was a serial sexual harasser. And then the interim ended up getting permanently suspended, pretty much, because he decided to get hammered at the owner's house and drive himself home in bad shape. So you've got some front office stuff that you got to figure out. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement in front offices this year. Obviously, the Mets have identified some of the biggest names out there. They've talked about David Stearns with the Brewers, Theo Epstein, Billy Bean as being guys that they want to bring in as the new president of baseball operations to run the ship. Good luck. Uh, You know, we spent a lot of time on that, I think, in the last couple weeks talking about the issues that the Mets have, so we won't beat them up anymore here. But you're going to have a lot of movement in front offices, and you're going to have some managers that are going to be replaced, whether they should be or not. Some should be. Some, I'm not sure that it's their fault. Luis Rojas, I think, is a polarizing one with the Mets. Is it his fault, or is it the fact that they didn't have the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom, for half of the year? So you're going to have a lot of movement. Um, So there were some front office debacles this year. You had some off-field crap from players that directly influenced what happened at the trade deadline and down the stretch, and there are going to be storylines that aren't going to get enough talk as we get into the playoffs, but 
The first one was Marcelo Zuna getting suspended for domestic violence. And that was a huge blow to Atlanta, who brought him back this year after he had a great season for them last year. And he was a non-factor for them down the stretch. And the other is Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer being a terrible human being and effectively getting written off for the second half of the season directly led to the Dodgers needing and, you know, the struggle is real for L.A., having the ability to go get the guy who's starting the wild card game for them, Max Scherzer. I mean, they gave a boatload of money to a terrible human being in Trevor Bauer, and that could have hurt them, but they're the Dodgers, and they keep churning out top-level prospects and making great trades, and here they are with Max Scherzer instead of Trevor Bauer. Trade one Cy Young Award winner for another. Um, so the off-field stuff is a problem. And then I think you know, on the field, I think sticky stuff was – it'll be something that comes up in the CBA because of the way that Major League Baseball acted without any consideration for what the impact on the game would have been. You had players like Tyler Glass now blaming their injuries on the change. You had other pitchers like Garrett Cole, who's starting tomorrow night for your Yankees. Um having a very vocal issue with the way that that was handled in the middle of a season. Uh, And then the other negative, I think, was just injuries. And again, you look at the teams that are in it here down the stretch, and with Atlanta, they went out at the trade deadline, and because of the Ozuna situation and losing Ronald Acuna halfway through the year, who could have been the National League's MVP this year pretty easily, um, they had to go get a whole new outfield at the deadline. And you look at the way that the injuries with the pitching staff and Fernando Tatis Jr. really destroyed a promising year for the San Diego Padres. Um, You know, that's another one. And you look at just the way that guys got dinged up. And that was a reality that we've talked about from the jump, Paul. And that is you went from a short season to a full season and how these guys were able to throw as many innings Uh, how they were able to stay healthy for the entire season, how batters had to deal with stuff. Um, You know, we'll talk about Kyle Schwarber. He had a record-breaking month with home runs and then disappeared for a month because of an injury. So injuries were huge. That happens every year. This year it was some of the biggest names in the game, and it really sucked to not have those guys out there. And other guys, like, look, Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts dealt with stuff all year. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's on the shelf right now. DJ LeMahieu went on the injured list yesterday before the finale, and Joey Gale is hurt. So injuries are always a storyline. I think the, the the level of names that were involved this year and the significant time that they missed uh, were a big deal. So there there was a lot of bad this year, but let's swing it back to the good. You Again, I've been saying this all year, Paul, and – the game is in such a good place. There are so many incredible young players. You look at what Tatis did when he was healthy. You look at what Juan Soto did, especially after they burned it down around him and no one should have pitched to him. Uh, you look at with the Red Sox, with uh, you know Devers and Bogarts. You look at what other teams have been able to get. The Mariners, again, they've got like an all-24-year-old outfield and they've still got teenagers that are going to come up and be superstars. You look at the White Sox, who dealt with the injuries with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, and both of those guys are back, and they're going to be A-level superstars. Luis Robert might be one of the five or six most talented players in baseball. So the game is in such a good place, and the way that it went all the way to the last minute of the year, and it took the first walk-off hit of Aaron Judge's career 
to seal the deal for the Yankees in the last game 162 shows you that the wild card is working. It's a tremendous success. And the fact that you had four teams that were interested on the last day of the season that affected everything just tells you that this game is in a really good place. Um, they've got a lot to work out with the CBA, and obviously there are still massive financial disparities between teams like the Dodgers and the Cardinals and the Red Sox and the Yankees and the team that the Red Sox and the Yankees, the winner, will eventually play in Tampa Bay. And you've got a lot of haves and a lot of have-nots, and the middle ground really disappeared this year. But the game's in a great place, and I think every fan should be advocating on social media because you know that these teams in the league listen to it. Get out on Twitter, get out on Facebook, and barnstorm for them to get a deal done because we need baseball back at full strength for a full season again next year because this game just keeps getting better. Yeah, a lot of uh, great stories. Shoy Atani, obviously, this year, too. A great, um, a great ride with him all season long. Uh, the yeah, Shohei, you've got Vladdy, you've got Salvador yeah. Perez. It's just there are so many guys that had absolutely incredible years. Um that when you look forward and you look at what the Angels could have been if Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout were there all year, with what Shohei did, Mike Trout, like Jacob deGrom, was off to one of the best start, maybe the best start of his career. So, um, yeah, I mean, so many names that you could just roll through. We could do a full show on just individuals who blew your mind this year. We didn't even bring up the fight in Frank Schwindel's. <laughs> Frankie, baby. Yeah, great all-star game. Uh, Field of Dreams, great story. And the league pretty much got kind of lucky with COVID and stuff. A couple things here and there. Uh, but all in all, getting this entire regular season in uh, was a lot of fun. Um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, can't say enough about the wild card. And we had brought this up many times um, during the podcast this year. And you, you nailed it, man. Having four teams uh, on the last day of baseball just... All the different, I mean, and even, you know, Saturday night watching Seattle come back, it was just, that's the stuff you love. You know, yeah. Toronto, the Blue Jays there, just, you know, giving it all they could get there at the end. You know, you talk about, you know, as we shift into, you know, the playoff series that are coming up here and, you know, here's the Red Sox and the Yankees. The Yankees go in and you could say, well, look, if they lose tomorrow night, those, uh, you know, big deal that you beat us, you swept us. But you know what? The Yankees don't get there tomorrow night if they don't sweep the Red Sox. You know, this is the uh, the twist and turns um, of the way the league has gone this, this, this year and especially here at the end. So uh, it's a lot of fun, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, next season again. Hopefully the CBA uh, gets taken care of. And we'll talk a little bit more about this and wrapping up a couple more things on the regular season. But there's no doubt... This is what it's all about today. And that is America's pastime. Being serious business. Starting tomorrow night. As the Yanks will shuffle up to Boston, brother. And the Cards and the Dodgers, man. Just two phenomenal games you brought up. I mean, where do you want to start here, pal? Let's go. Let's get it done. What? Why, let, why don't we why don't we go with the uh, the order that the games will be played? Why don't we start off with <clears throat> clearing throat the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, who will put Garrett Cole and Nathan Ivaldi on the mound. Uh, and I've got a, a, a little something for Paul here. What do you got? Which I 
which I did not share with him before we got on the air today. Should I should I not drink my tea while you say this, or should I keep? Oh, it you down? should drink your tea, but you might want to have a hand ready to take notes because it's about to get crazy here. All right, let's go, man. I want to hear this. Yankees, Red Sox. It's times like these we live for. We've been waiting on a war, and we got it. The Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, one game for everything. These lineups are stacked actors. One team will have my hero. The other will be the pretender. This season has <laughs> oh, been back I and forth. <laughs> this season has been back and forth. But at summer's end, we get a game that felt like it was a matter of time with another round on the line. Oh man! They won't be playing in the shadows of statues. This game will be in Boston. For the Yankees, DJ LeMahieu and Joey Gallo will be MIA. The Red Sox will ask Nathan Eovaldi for the best of you to get the win. Can he be a monkey wrench to the Yankees lineup? Or will Judge and Stanton be big me as they have been so often down the stretch? A fun storyline from Chicago. A friend of a friend. Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber, former teammates who have made big impacts on their respective lineups, will go at it with each other. Uh, who will have it all? <laughs> and for which team will this be a long road to ruin? My poor brain is trying to figure out who wins. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that uh, Paul, as we have mentioned on the show before, Paul and the wife will miss the game to go see Dave Grohl in a unique oh. performance last night. And so I open our conversation about the Yankees and Red Sox with, count them, not one, not two, not three, but 18 Foo Fighters references. Paul, who you got? Buddy, that was fantastic. And cruel at the same time. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know what I had this fired up in the background for you, buddy. Bravo, Mr. Bamford. That took some time. Yes, tomorrow night, man. Well, I told you last week, you know, when me and the wife, we go to see uh, city concerts when the Yanks are in the playoffs. They win, so... You, you know, can't mess with the winning streak. Can't to, mess with to that. To quote the philosopher Crash Davis, don't mess with the winning streak. Or I guess paraphrase because we're keeping this kid friendly. It's going to be, uh, I mean, it's it's bittersweet for me. You know, look, I, as a fan, look, they're in. It's just great that they're in it tomorrow night. And, yeah. You know, I, I went through, you know, I uh, as a hockey fan, too. Everybody's got their things. I don't know what you have tabbed to. And, and you know, fans out there, if you, you're listening and you ever want to hit us up on Twitter stuff. But, you know, sometimes when you're watching your team, and they're this close, and you, you want success, do you find yourself like either staying in the same position. If you've crossed your leg when they hit a base hit, you got to stay there. You can't get up, watch it with the sound, without the sound, you know, or like yesterday for me, I was I was just at wit's end there. It's, I said, I gotta, I'm going to go walk the dog. I got to break this up. And then maybe when I swing back, you know, and sure enough, that's what I did because I couldn't take it anymore. And I got up, and I took the dog for a walk. Uh, when they went to make the pitchers change against Judge yesterday. And I figured I had a time that I was going to get back in time for him for his, his pitch. And sure enough, I look, I'm walking up to the, 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 the stairs of the, the house, and I got the door open, and I see them celebrating. And I was like, yeah! You know? But it was like, it was, it was nuts after watching pretty much every pitch over the weekend and just sitting there suffering, seeing all that money getting up to the plate and just not doing it and especially yesterday just winding down to uh 
you know, the the win yesterday. And and again, swinging back to tomorrow night. Hey, look there in yes, I'll be at I'll be hanging out with Dave Grohl tomorrow. What the what the hell's I've almost cursed this. Sorry, folks. What the heck's bad about that, man? I mean, nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. So look, if I if I get to hang out with Dave Grohl, and I know they're tight with the cell phones tomorrow night, so I don't think I'll be able to check in on the scores. But if I come out tomorrow, and the acts are putting a beat up, and the, and the game will still be on because it's an eight oh eight start tomorrow night. So, because um, you know, why would you have kids be exactly you know, happy yeah. in school? So, look, long story short, um, that was brilliant with the Foo Fighters stuff. That's what I'll be doing tonight. But, like I said, if I come out after seeing Dave and, um, you know, I'll have most of the game left and hopefully the Yanks will be up uh, one way or the other. But, hey, getting back to my thing, do you do you, did you do that? Like, I mean, sure, you know, being a Cubs fan and, you know, uh, Hawks fan stuff, do you have any of those stupid little things we do as fans that, you know, when, when your team's in a, in a stressful situation, if there's any kind of routine you do or anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, with, with the Cubs, I try to avoid any type of superstition because everything with the Cubs is superstition. Um, game seven of the world series. I watched alone in the basement of my house with every light off except for the television. (laughs) And I told the wife and kids assume that I'm not here. Yes. (laughs) Uh, and that final out was clinched at about 11 o'clock at night. And I went outside and sat uh, in the middle of my driveway with the lights on with a big Cuban cigar and just cried for about a half an hour. That's awesome. Um, Hockey-wise, yeah, absolutely. Like, you got to figure out when you got to go, you know, hit the little boys' room, when in the period you got to go. Um, you know, if, if you know, if, if you got a power play coming up, you don't go to the bathroom. If it's a penalty kill, you don't go to the bathroom. Um, you know, stuff like that, you know, specific jerseys that you wear to games. I took my mom to game three of the World Series. I wore my throwback Ernie Banks jersey because he never got to appear in a postseason game wearing a Cubs jersey. Um, but there were, I, you know, game six of the Stanley Cup final when the Blackhawks eliminated the Tampa Bay Lightning and raised the cup on home ice for the first time. I had my Steve Larmer jersey on because I need to retire number 28. Um but yeah, I, I think that the great thing about being a sports fan is you come up with these little things. And I was getting text messages yesterday because my nephew got baptized yesterday. So I was at home, not the cigar lounge for the Bears. And I'm getting text messages from my buddies. You're not allowed to come back. The Bears have 200 yards of offense. <laughs> the Bears got over 50 yards on their first drive. You're not allowed to come back to watch the Bears games. And I'm like, no, the reality is I can't, I, I can't have Bears paraphernalia on because the two games that I haven't worn a Bears jersey, T-shirt, hat, whatever, underwear, socks, it, all of the above, <laughs> it, they've won those two games. So apparently I can't wear Bears paraphernalia on game day this year. That so, yeah, terrible. I mean, I, I think you got to have a little superstition. That's the fun thing. And there's no athletes that are more – and that's the thing. Like, hockey players have a routine. Baseball players are superstitious. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's kind of the way that things go. But, it, it, you know, it's going to be interesting with – this wild card situation to see, you know, with it being a, a Tuesday night, a late start in Boston, and with, um, you know, some of the guys that are hurt, you know, especially with the Yankees, if, if they've got no LeMahieu and no Gallo, you know, that's going to be, you know, LeMahieu's on the, on the injured list with a sports hernia. That's a huge blow. He can't. He's out. He's he's out until at least the championship series, so his season might be done, you know. And then you know Gallo. It's just 
you you look at the way that some of these guys are going to have to change things, and you look at guys, and I brought up Rizzo and Schwarber going against each other. Um, just a lot of different things going on, and and all of that personal drama, interpersonal relationships now get extrapolated out into the history of the Yankees and the Red Sox. And you've got, I would humbly submit Garrett Cole pitching in the most important game that he's thrown to date in the pinstripes. Oh, this is it, man. Yeah. And, you know, pulling some numbers for the kids here, Garrett Cole uh, on the road this year where he will be on Tuesday night, 10 and four with 135 strikeouts and a hundred innings pitched. A hundred and a third to be exact. So you know, averaged almost one and a half strikeouts uh, per inning. Uh, strong record on the road. He was better on the road than he was at Yankee Stadium. So maybe that plays into getting him out there against Boston this year. However, two and two, thirty-one strikeouts uh, in twenty-two innings pitched, twelve earned runs against. Interesting. Mm-hmm. On the other side, Nathan Navaldi was 6-4 and four with 117 strikeouts and 114 innings pitched at home. Solid. Uh, but against the Yankees this year, also 2-2, two and two, 34 strikeouts and 34 innings pitched. He allowed 14 runs. This is what fascinates me, Paul. The 34 innings that Avaldi threw against the Yankees this year were the most innings that he threw against any opponent this year. And he was 500. So there's a lot of familiarity here. Now, obviously, there's going to be different guys in the lineup here for the Yankees with the LeMahieu and Gallo thing, and Rizzo didn't get a long look at Evaldi this year because of the trade and whatnot. But it always fascinates me when you've got a guy going against a team that he saw more than anyone else during the regular season. Obviously, the Red Sox, A, don't want to burn Chris Sale too bad coming off of the injury, and B, like something that they saw from Evaldi against the Yankees this year. But, I mean, the numbers here, you've got two guys, two ace caliber guys, and let's not, like, crap on Evaldi. He he was the best pitcher all year for the Red Sox, so they've got their number one based on season-long performance on the bump. So both teams have got their number one going, as they should, um, but both of them are 2-2 two and two against the opponent this year. And had some really good starts and had some really ugly starts. So, you know, this is where you you find out, you know, which which one put on the big boy pants. And I think both of us, I mean, your, your, you know, coronary doctor might not appreciate it as much as mine with zero <laughs> rooting interest. But, I mean, I, I would love to, the best postseason game for my money of the last 40 years was... Jack Morris, John Smoltz in the World Series. And I think we've got two pitching matchups in the wild card game where you've got four absolute studs that could do that. And it'll just it'll be very interesting at the end of a long regular season with another series to go for whoever wins, see how these managers handle what they've got in front of them here. Because obviously Boone does not have the postseason resume that Cora does in Boston. Um, but he's got but this is five the highest paid pitcher out there. But this is five years straight for Booney here in the Yanks too, man. So, I mean, you know, to say he's, you know, the experience level, I mean, he's there. He's been there, you know. He's been there, but he has not done that. And that's one of the gripes that you and other pinstripers have voiced about Aaron Boone. He's been there, but he has not done that. Mm-hmm. 
and he needs to do that. And Garrett Cole's got to have one hell of a game for him on Tuesday on the road in Boston, which will not be a friendly setting. Uh, there I, aren't friendly I, there aren't friendly road games in the playoffs, but uh, with all due respect to the seven thousand strong that Tampa is going to bring for whoever wins that game, this will be the most hostile crowd that the Yankees play in front of before the World Series. Yeah, but I I kind of like them going into Boston. I like the short field. I like the I think the the pressure is going to be more on on the Sox in this one. The Yanks got even for. For the absolute failure as far as putting up runs against uh, Tampa Bay this weekend, a lot of rotations coming off a lot of emotions between the um, you know the games against the Sox prior to and obviously uh, the Blue Jays here. You know Tampa's a damn good team. That, yes, that's, they are. That is one thing that I definitely took from it uh, this weekend is they're damn good. So whoever whoever jumps into them uh, in the next series is uh, you know these guys are ready. You can kind of see that. Uh, Tampa Bay's ready to to to, to get to the well, maybe maybe, maybe Tampa was able to get to the World Series last year because they are the only team in baseball that plays best in front of no fans at home. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, they were used to it. Yeah, it's a trip. Yeah, no, but you're right. Like, look, Tampa Tampa is going to be a handful for whoever they get. But I mean, look, this is this is what you sign up for: Red Sox Yankees, one game to decide everything, and it doesn't matter where you go. Either one, it's going to be hell for the opponent. You're going to hear every conjugation of four-letter words and probably a few that you haven't heard before. Most of your family will probably be insulted. Someone will probably bring up what you had for lunch the day before and what you're going to have for lunch the day after. Um, but, yeah, this, this is what it's all about. So uh, it's going to be great theater. Uh, God bless ESPN for getting their hands on this one. Um, I just wish that they'd start these things at like uh, seven o'clock. If, if I don't local. mind saying it, Tab, the guys who do the ESPN game are just not very good. It's just my guy. Yeah, you know what? I don't. I'm. I don't need to have commentary from Alex Rodriguez in my life. It's especially it's if the Yankees are playing. To. Yeah, no. I, a a lot of the guys that they roll out there are great. I'm a big. I'm a big fan of Eduardo Perez. Um, I think he's got great perspective. I just. I, I don't need A-Rod doing a, a Red Sox-Yankees playoff game. There's a there's an absorbent, over-the-top, over-analyzing on their broadcast. It's just it's just too much. But anyway, well, with that and, said... And, and the hyperbole machine is always there, no matter what. When Look, Paul, you are talking to someone who, at the risk of dating myself age-wise, uh, my senior paper in college was written on the inherent biases in the broadcast coverage that Fox produced of the 2001 World Series between your Yankees and Arizona Diamondbacks. Mm. I wrote a 75-page paper on how the media was head over heels in love with those Yankees, and then it didn't work out. Which, for all the kids out there that are you know getting ready for college, in college, have to write a paper in college, um, when you plan out what you're going to do your senior paper on, Try to not have a seven-game World Series in which five went more than four hours be something that you need to break down at length. Um, but back yes. then it was all VHS, too. So, you know, welcome to coffee and cigars, getting a fat kid through that one. But um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, look, and this is the thing with the wild card where the media coverage can absolutely make you go, you know, bat stuff crazy is the over-analysis. It's one game. 
and you've got so many metrics and you've got two manager. You, I mean, you've got four managers between this and the St. Louis Dodgers series where analytics are going to be front and center and ev- they're going to second guess every decision. They're going to make the decisions for the managers and then agree and disagree when it happens. It's going to happen. Um, but the reality is that, and you know, you're right. There's probably more pressure on the Red Sox here because they're at home. But I think the most pressure in these playoffs is on one specific person, and that is Mr. Boone. Of every look, want, look want... Tampa got to the World Series last year, and they we joke about their fans, but they don't have the media spotlight on them every day. And you look at the rest of the American League. Cora's got a ring. Tampa got there last year. Dusty Baker, Houston, you know, massive 400-pound asterisk, but they've got a ring. LaRusa's got rings, plural. Uh, You've got a, a White Sox team that if they don't win it this year, you still chalk it up as a learning curve. Most of the guys back on the Astros, you know, especially in the lineup, were there when they won it a few years ago. A lot of these Red Sox have got a ring with Cora. So the, 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 I think the, the guy that has the most pressure on him to get it done is Aaron Boone because, like I said, he's been there, but he hasn't done that. Well, and he needs to do that for him right. to really establish himself as someone that is no longer the focal point of angst in the Bronx. Well, on the Boone matter, I don't think it's a Boone thing, especially this past week and watching these guys. I mean, Boone can't get up there, and, and he's putting his lineup out there. He's putting the guys out there. Uh, you know, they especially against Tampa, they they didn't give Boone an opportunity to really have to manage the games. They just weren't putting any runs up. They weren't they weren't giving the team any chance. I mean, if the guys get up there and they don't hit. I mean, how many pitches is Sanchez going to look at? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, there's nothing. I don't, I don't see Boone as the issue here. He's we talked but, about. It. What's that? But he, he, but he could be the issue if he's got a one nothing lead in Boston and Aroldis Chapman comes out of that bullpen and it's a two one loss. Well, again, I mean, but that's your that's your ace, man. That's the guy you have to put him in there. Look, Jared Cole. This is what it. Look, Jared Cole got what he wanted. This is the big game. This is why he came to the Yanks. He goes mm-hmm. in there tomorrow night. He pitches lights out. So it's okay. You talk about Evaldi and, um, you know, all the uh, the innings that he's pitched against the Yankees have familiar. Well, the Yankees are pretty damn familiar with him as far as they're concerned, as far as being in the batter box against him and what he's going to be throwing at them. And they've been seeing I, him for years. Yeah, and I think uh, Higashioka behind the net defensively helps the Yanks out big, too, in, in a game if it gets tight as well because Sanchez is just, you know, that's another story altogether. Yeah. But I think but, that but I, it's inter- you're right. Like Aaron Boone should not be the guy. Yeah, I don't because think he's. We talked be... about the Lemayhew and Gallo. They're coming in banged up. But I think just the, knowing the way that New York media works, I think there will be decisions that will be the hyperbole. The hyperbole machine resides in New York City, and you're right. He has to put a role as Chapman out there because he's the, he's the highest paid closer on the planet and he's the guy that's got to go out there and get it done. But if he's putting his best guy out there, it might be Loisega who gets the ninth inning. And if he actually does that and it works, I mean, he's, he's going to have, have a bust in center field. The fact that he's got Green, Loisega, and Sev back, and, you know, those guys should probably get in there before Chapman even has to come in. The bottom line, though, is we've talked about this Yankee lineup, is the arsenal. It's the guys behind the plate. You know, it's it's the lineup. It's Torres, it's Rizzo, it's Judge, it's Stanton. Even with, um, if LeMay, who's out, 
You know, and even if Gallo's out, they've got guys that they can put in there. Maybe maybe Voight can get in this lineup to, you know, tomorrow night, too. You see what happens. They've got other weapons. The bottom line is these guys have to connect. I just think... I think this sets up right for the Yankees tomorrow. I think it's, I, I'm almost, like I said, I'm glad it's in Boston. Uh, I think they play well in that park. They had a great, obviously, a series there a couple, you know, last week. They got, you got the right guy on the mound, the right guy behind the plate. You still have a phenomenal lineup in a short ball park. And these guys actually, Garten has been hitting well. These guys can hit base hits. They can do it. Um, so I, I think the Yankees, it's up to the guys that step into the batter's box. I don't necessarily see it being a Boone issue unless, like you said, because that's when Boone seems to have his issues is when they get into the late, uh, the middle of the late innings and he's got to make these, you know, uh, pitching decisions. But again, look what the guy has had to go to. Look who's in his bullpen. Look who he has to use. You know, it's, right. that's, is that necessarily Boone's fault that this is the cards he's being dealt? Look, we'll call him out when he makes the wrong decision or keeps the guy in too long. You know, um, but I think tomorrow night, I think this is the you you can't you can't go wrong with this lineup. You can't go wrong with the guys on the mound, and I don't care. I want to see Chapman come in there tomorrow, even if it's a one run game, even if it's second and third and two out. I want Chapman on the mound. Punch it through, man. Well, and, he's a winner. He can do know, it. Yeah, and you know what? You're right. Like they are paying Garrett Cole this money to be this guy in this moment, and Garrett Cole has to show up. Big time, because that Red Sox lineup is nothing to shake a stick at, and they'll be able to score as many as as the Yankees. Uh, they've obviously been able to get to Cole this year. For me, I think where the the danger zone is, uh, at the risk of making an Archer reference here, is. You you brought you brought up a very very important point, and it they know it all too well in Boston. I won't say the name Grady Little more than once, but I will say it once. And that is when you look at the Yankees bullpen and some of the questions that you outlined, and you scratch your head a little bit about how comfortable they are with the role as Chapman. And the the hand that Aaron Boone has been dealt and the fact that Garrett Cole is the guy getting paid to do this. What everyone, including me, will be staring at in this game is how long does Garrett Cole stay in the game? If he looks great for six, but he's got a high pitch count and it's a tie game, does he send him out there for seven and it backfires? Does he pull, do they get a big lead after five and he pulls them to have them available to come back in the next series and the bullpen implodes? This is the hardest thing for any manager in a one game. With a series coming immediately following this. Yes. Is when, like, when, how far is far enough and how far is too far with your starting pitcher? And I think it's, it's harder for Boone than it is for Cora because Ivaldi is not the highest paid pitcher in major league baseball. He did not grow up a Yankee fan and hold up the sign that he had as a kid, as a Yankee fan, when he came home and say, I want this. This is what I signed up for. This is the game that I'm here to play. And you know, Garrett Cole is going to look at Boone when he comes out there and asks for the ball, the same way Pedro Martinez looked at the guy whose name I'm only going to say once. This is going to be a, no, you keep your ass in the dugout because I got this. And it, there will, at some point, 
it, unless Garrett Cole decides to go full Maddox and pitch the, the game of the century, there will be a moment that everyone will watch, and that will be Aaron Boone taking the ball. And when he does it, and what the repercussions are of either how long he was in or how early he came out will be something that we talk about for a long time. But this, this, is what, this is what it is. This is what we pay for. This is what we want to see. Like I said, Red Sox, Yankees in prime time, there are producers and TV executives that are having a cigarette and a cold shower today because they got what they wanted. And we're going to get to watch it unfold late at night on Tuesday because, you know, why would you start it at a time the kids can watch it before they go to bed and function in school on Wednesday? <laughs> Whole other soapbox here. Start the games at 6 so that the uh, kids can watch and go to bed at a reasonable hour. You want to grow the game? Don't have them ending at midnight. Start them at 6 o'clock. You know what? Yeah, you want the West Coast audience to watch it. You know what? Stats tell us that most millennials are watching highlights after the game ends. They're not watching every pitch. So start the game when it, kids can actually tune in and get locked in and watch the entire game. T-D-C. They don't care. <laughs> don't. It's unfortunate. No, it's unfortunate. and you're right. All right, so we'll see what happens. Anything else on this uh, game tomorrow night? I think we kind of covered. I mean, look, these guys got to go out and they got to play the game uh, again. It's a it's a great script. Um, Paul, I'm, give I'm, me your give me your give me your pick to click. Who's the MVP of the American League Wild Card game? I think it'll be Cole. I think he's going to just he's just going to smoke on them all. I think this is just. I think he's that's going to be it. And I I think the Yankees are going to get to Evaldi er, uh, early. I think this game is going to be over in, by the fifth fifth inning. That's my feeling. I'm 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 just confident about them. I'm I going like with the heartstrings. I'm going. I'm I'm say, I'm with you. I think your Yankees win it. I think Rizzo comes up big, and comes up big late. You mean Anthony Rizzo? You think yep. he's happy in New York? By the way, <laughs> hard not to be. And you look at what the money could be for a guy to play first base for the pinstripes with his pedigree. But look, I mean, let let let. Two seconds on Anthony Rizzo. Keep in mind here, this is a guy that was drafted and signed by Theo Epstein as a Red Sox. This is a this is a guy who was drafted and developed by the Red Sox. He traded to the Padres and really made himself a major leaguer with the Cubs. But this is a guy who started out on the other side of the equation here. And now he's got to go into Boston where he probably, as a kid, dreamed about this exact scenario with the other jersey on. And now he's got to go do it in Boston against the team that drafted him. And it's a very, so, very short, short left field out there. Short fence. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think Rizzo's the man tomorrow night. I think, I, like he, I, think, I, think, I think your clutch moment, your Aaron Boone running around the streets <laughs> of New York shooting bottle rockets at your neighbors at 1 o'clock in the morning. I think that moment comes off of the bat of Anthony Rizzo. It's good, man. And then you got to pitch around Stanton. you got to pitch around Judge. You know, I'm sure he's going to put – I, you know, maybe he puts God in. Who sees what's happening? We'll see what happens tomorrow night as far as the lineup and stuff. But, look, it's it's exciting. It's great. Love it. And um, I'll take it, man. Uh, like I said, Jericho, you can't ask for anything more. So, uh, it's just going to be a great game tomorrow night. Uh, that I won't be able to watch until at least the seventh or eighth inning. <laughs> After David Grohl, baby, storytelling, the G-Man, it's gonna be. It's gonna stuff. be outstanding. It's gonna be good stuff. All right, so let's um, 
Real quick, before we leave that, favorite Foo Fighters song for you? I Man, I, there's so many, but I, there's always something about the best of me. And when Prince did that at the Super Bowl, oh. woo, that was pretty amazing. That's how, yeah. see, that's what Prince thought of that song. And I'm, yeah. you know, there's too many, brother. Too many. I, I'm, mine's Wheels. Great, too. This is great. I, 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 tell you, I know it said the best of me, but I think actually pound for pound, probably the best rock and roll song ever written is The Pretender. Musically and as a vocalist, too. It's just out of this world. So and and you know what? Our conversation about the American League uh, wildcard game was ever long. It certainly was. And now it's time to start chatting about this National League. That has been... Uh, Quite interesting, and again, uh, does not include the Amazons over there in Flushing. Another lost season gone. You know they're they're setting up a golf a golf tournament at City Field in the fall. Finally, putting that beautiful beautiful stadium to use in the fall. Golf in October. That should be the new tagline. We talked about the Mets rebranding. Golf in October. <laughs> All right, let's. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to go there. You know, they, they've got. They've got enough. Uh, I put that one on the tee for you, Paul. Yeah. All right. So, um, <laughs> first of all, uh, San Francisco Giants, absolutely incredible season. Uh, Milwaukee uh, and Atlanta going out of here. We talked about Milwaukee uh, as far as them kind of, you know, tr- you know, skipping into the postseason here a little bit and how that's going to hold out for them. But Dodgers and St. Louis. Cards definitely just an amazing story here. The uh, NLL East, Philly too short. Like I said, Mets no chance, no good. And here we go. Take it away, Tab. The National League Division Series with the Dodgers and the Cards on Wednesday night, right? Yeah, Wednesday night. So wild card At action. 10 from... At 10 p.m. Eastern time so the kids oh. can't see the game. Probably like 1 a.m. because oh. they don't want to have anybody staying awake on any coast to watch this game. I mean, look, here we go. Um, you got a couple old guard it is, guys. Hold on, Tim. It is, it's, tomorrow night's game is at 8.08. Wednesday night's game is at 8.10. So they pushed it back two more minutes. Well, that's so Dodger fans like Dennis Bernstein can actually get in their seats in time. <laughs> by the third inning. Um, Dennis will be there an hour before first pitch, you know, getting comfy with his Dodger dog five rows from the plate. But... You know, the rest of them will show up in the third inning. This is a pitching. We talked about Garrett Cole being the guy and everybody sleeping on Evaldi. And you've basically got the same thing in the National League wild card game. Um, You've got the juggernaut and you've got a team that everybody wrote off like five weeks ago. Adam Wainwright is 40 years old. And at 40 years old, he turned 40, I think, like five weeks ago. Uh at 40 years old, Adam Wainwright, 17 and 7 with a 3.05 ERA this year, 174 strikeouts, and once again, 206 innings pitched. Uh, we'll see if he comes back for a, one last rodeo with Yadier Molina next year. But uh, he had a another season that you just scratch your head and say, "How?" And I looked it up just for blanks and giggles because I wanted to see. You know, looking back at Cardinals postseason history and uh, 2006, 
I think it was the clinch game of the World Series. Adam Wainwright came out of the bullpen and had a blown save and got the win. 2006. 15, wow. 15 years ago. A long time ago when a guy was He was coming away. out of the bullpen in the Fall Classic. One of the great trades in Cardinal history, stealing him from the Atlanta Braves. Um, but look, on the road this year, Adam Wainwright, 8-2. Uh, 66 strikeouts and 78 innings pitched. He allowed 31 earned runs, but he got it done. He was 4-0 in September. Obviously, September was incredible in St. Louis. They just rolled everyone that showed up on the on the plate for him. And I think, you know, you've got to think that the Cardinals are coming into this plane with house money because the Dodgers, with the Bauer edition and their lineup and Mookie Betts having a full season, they were playing with house money after getting a ring last year. It was supposed to be them and the Padres, and then the rest of the league was just playing for who gets to clean up after they play each other in the playoffs. But the Dodgers' second-best record in baseball, I think a lot of people are just assuming that the Dodgers are going to roll this one. Um, And on paper, you'd think that they should because they've got Max Scherzer on the mound, who has been the best pitcher in baseball for the last two months. After getting acquired at the deadline from the Washington Nationals, Max Scherzer has been 7-0 with a sub-2 ERA, 198 ERA, a whip of under 1, 0.82 walks and hits per innings pitched, and he struck out 89 in 68 and a third. He has been next-level dominant, like CeCe Sabathia in Milwaukee-level dominant. I think he won himself the National League Cy Young after not even being a consideration in Washington for half a season. Because he was that good. And you look at L.A. down the stretch, Kershaw's been on and off the injured list. Um, Julio Urias' first full season as a starter has been phenomenal. Walker Buehler will get a Cy Young at some point, maybe this year, but I think Scherzer stole it from him. And he's a guy. And, And he's a guy that has done it recently. He's a guy that does it with the level of swagger that you you're expecting to see from Garrett Cole on Tuesday night. So you got a couple old dogs going at it here who still have a lot left in the tank. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but I think the game changer here is you're playing that game eight ten Eastern. That's a five ten PM Pacific start. You're going to have long shadows at Dodger stadium. And Adam Wainwright's nickname is Uncle Charlie because of that big hook that he throws. And look, these Cardinals, you look at their lineup, when you look at the stats, you're like, damn, they can hit, they can rake. But you look at the names, and you're going to say it's Dodgers all day. You look at the records, you're going to say Dodgers all day. But there's just something about these Cardinals that I don't think anybody should take them lightly. And so this is going to be a fun one. We'll... We'll see what kind of – and again, you know, Max Muncie banged up this final weekend. Bellinger's been banged up all year. You know, it's going to be interesting to see who who exactly the Dodgers have at 100% or even available for that matter here in the wild card game. If they're not able to roll Muncie or Bellinger in the lineup, it's going to be it's going to be tough because the, the Cardinals, again, house money. No one expected them to be there. Nobody gives them a snowball's chance in hell of winning the game. So just go out and win it. And they're pretty much and all frankly, healthy over you know, there. And, and you know what? They've, they've got Yachty, and they've got Wainwright on the bump, and everything around, and Arenado and Goldschmidt are going for it. But a lot of young guys in that lineup. Their outfield is young. Tommy Edmond is young. You know, if, if Mundo Sosa is able to go at shortstop, he's a baby. 
So you're going to have a couple old dogs surrounded by young kids. And that's a dangerous proposition because there is no scarier team in any sport than the one that has no chance to win. Because there's no there's no pressure at all on the St. Louis Cardinals. We talked about pressure on the Red Sox being at home and having to fight back to get in after they got swept by the Yankees. We talked about the pressure on Aaron Boone because he's been there but hasn't done that. And the and the guys in the Yankees lineup like Stanton and Judge that haven't been to a World Series yet and what they're playing for. There is zero point zero pressure on the St. Louis Cardinals in this game, and that is scary. Because they've been the hottest team in baseball for the last month. And, you know, look, I think, look, love what the Cards do. Hey, if they pull this out, bravo to them, and, and we, we go forward. I, but I think everybody would love to see the Dodgers and Giants matchup. I mean, I mean, that's... Absolutely. You know, made for TV there, and, and you know, you, you wonder if, um, you know, the... How the Dodgers approach this game? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I want to ask you about the the managers on each side here. As far as Dave, let's start with Dave Roberts there in in, in L.A. and um, obviously had an amazing season, and it's his experience going into this one game. And you know, we talked about Boone and uh, pressure on him, but uh, talk about him a little bit and what you think you'll see from him. Well, look, I mean, this is a guy who has adopted a full ride or die with Kenley Jansen approach, and. Kenley Jansen had a really strong uh, second half. He was great down the stretch. Um, his bullpen has – I mean, look, this is a team that has arms for days. And they could keep Urias and Bueller off the lineup even so that they're not even an option to go in this game and still have more pitching than anybody knows what to do it with. The Cardinals' bullpen has been up and down this year. Um. But I think Dave Roberts has – it took him a few years to get there. Obviously, the Astros thing is a big asterisk in the eyes of Dodgers fans for only one ring from this stretch of games. But that one ring was last year, so obviously most of the guys on this team know what it takes. And now they're put, giving the ball to, again, the best pitcher in baseball for the last two months who has been there and done that with Washington just a couple of years ago. So, and that was a Washington team, let's not forget, that had the worst record in baseball practically after a month and a half and had to come all the way back yeah. to roll it. So, um, Dave Roberts knows what he's doing. He knows how to get it done, and he's got more weapons at his disposal than probably anybody in these playoffs. But you look at, you know, Muncie being banged up. You look at what Bellinger's dealing with, and you just you start to wonder if he's going to have a full deck and how he rolls his team out there uh, and what those guys look like. Because if they're banged up and you've got the shadows with that big curveball and Wainwright, again, 40 years old, nothing to lose. He's had nothing to lose all year, and he went 17-7 and with a 305 ERA. So, um, you know, I think Dave Roberts is smart enough and he's been through enough of this that he knows to not take anything lightly. He knows that the Cardinals are a formidable opponent. And so he'll have his guys ready to go, but it's how ready to go physically some of those guys are that I think will have a huge impact. And then the other side, Schilt, you know, has had some ups and downs in the postseason, but this is a gamer. You know, he's, he's a lifer. He's been around that organization for a while. Um, and you look at what he did this year, and if Gabe Kapler didn't exist, I think he'd be up there for manager of the year. Um, 
because again, they had a 1.3% chance of getting in the postseason at the start of August, and then they just blew everybody away and had the best September out of any team in baseball. So, um, you know, but I think if you're looking at, at who, I, I think the Cardinals lineup can, can compete with the Dodgers lineup. They've played well enough, especially in September, and they've got enough options and depth. Um, defensively at the corners, they're probably the best team in baseball with Arenado and Goldschmidt. Uh, Arenado, again, you know, you talk about getting in the postseason. This is why he went to St. Louis. He wanted to, he wanted to go for it. Well, now he gets a shot to, to put it on the line with the bright lights on him. So we'll see how Arenado performs. Same with Goldschmidt. Um, but you know, I think the Dodgers pitching staff is a lot more comfortable if you're uh, of the financially inclined rooting interest. Um, just, you know, St. Louis's bullpen has, you know, left a few cuticles bleeding this year. Um, <laughs> and their all-star closer has been roughed up a few times here in the last month, even with them being so dominant and finding ways to win games. So I, again, everybody there's 0.0 pressure on the Cardinals here. And that scares me because the Dodgers can't walk into this thinking about the giants because the Cardinals will send them golfing with the Mets prematurely. Well, it's good stuff. I mean, uh, the cards definitely earned their spot here. You know, the September schedule, they played uh, the Dodgers there at the beginning of the month, uh, split that series with them. And, you know, they played Milwaukee and, and, you know, the Mets and everything else. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at, um, the, you know, the standings here at the end of the year and, and, and the wild card and especially how it, you know, panned out in the national league here. Um, you know, there's no doubt you look at the cards. I mean, great surprise, but you know, with Cincinnati there at the end, Philly showing a little bit of life and disappointment of San Diego and obviously disappointment of the Mets. When you look at it, as far as this matchup and that 17 game winning streak, you got the right team here in this wild card game. And it's a great yep. test for L.A. with them banged up, with the experience, the champs. Even though they've had this incredible 106-win season, they've got to beat these guys. I think it'll be a great game for them to to play. And if they get through and then, again, tee up just a phenomenal series um, against San Francisco. And, again, you know, we'll talk uh, next week, obviously, and or maybe this week. We'll have to do another quick show here uh, in terms of uh, after these wildcard games. Um, anything else you have to say on, on this game here tomorrow? I mean, Wednesday night between the Dodgers and St. Louis, uh, because the last thing we just got to look at is obviously the two divisional series between, uh, Houston and White Sox, American league, and obviously Milwaukee and Atlanta. I'd like to get your thoughts on those two series that are starting. Yeah. I, I, who, who's, who's your pick to click in the, uh, Dodgers Cardinals game? <sighs> the Dodgers will find a way banged up experience. I, I want that. I want that Dodgers Frisco series. No disrespect to the cards, and I'll jump on the bandwagon if the cards, the cards get in there. Um, yeah, I'll just be behind them all the way. I mean, just because uh, it just caps off a great end of the season. But I, th- I think, um, I think the Dodgers will uh, will definitely find a way here, especially with um, Scherzer on the mound. You know, I'm 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 really fascinated. I think that this is going to be a game that is low scoring until the shadows clear uh, you know I think you look at guys like Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond and what they've been able to do uh, you know I, I think that the, if the Dodgers are going to win this I'm not sure that they have the lead the whole night I think that they might need to come back 
to pull this thing off. I, I'm interested to see what, what it looks like for Max Muncy. Um, but I, I, I think if I'm going to go pick to click a guy that kind of emerged last year as being, you know, a stud in the postseason, who a lot of people ignore still. I, I really like Will Smith catcher, young guy, um, had a 383 on base percentage at home this year. I, 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 you know, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Austin Barnes gets the call behind the plate, but you know, I, I like Will Smith. And then I, Chris Taylor's a guy who's been the Swiss army knife, the Ben Zobrist for the Dodgers the last few years. And he's a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, and he could be a guy that plays second base. He could be a guy that plays left field. They use him all over the place. So I look at those two guys making an impact here late. Um, and uh, for my money, if I'm betting on a, a National League wild card most valuable player, I'm going to go with one of my middle son Bobby's favorite players. I'm going to say Trey Turner does something that you've never seen before. And Trey Turner's the guy that gets L.A. over the hump and gets them the dance with San Francisco. And a dance it will be indeed. I like it, man. There's um there's a lot of guys in both lineups that can make an impact, and that's the beauty of playoff baseball. Because now the chess games get a lot more intense. Every pitch, every at bat, every play on the field. It's just it's you know, we're big hockey guys, and, you know, there's the, the, to me, the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win. But I personally also feel that baseball is probably the best playoff game you'll watch because every every decision uh, is important, especially in baseball. And you got to wait. And if you're, you know, your, your pitcher could lose it or your pitcher could carry a team, and if your lineup doesn't hit or if you don't play the small boy or if you're, you know, you could have a great, strong 5-6 inning, your reliever could come in and, and the whole game could just implode. You talk about injuries. You talk about managerial decisions. This is what it comes all down to, and it's just great stuff. So, look, what we're going to do here is um, we're just going to take a quick break right here at Line Drive Radio on the Revala Podcast Network just for sponsors real quick. And then when we come back, we'll just wrap the show up real quick. We'll take a look at the Astros and the White Sox series coming up. And the Brewers and the 88-win Atlanta Braves from the mighty National League East. Right here on Long Drive Radio. Welcome back to Long Drive Radio. Talking about America's pastime. Yo, shooting this Paul Cuthbert. And... Tad Bamford. So we've run through the uh, wild card predictions. Clicks to pick. It's all on tap tomorrow and Wednesday night. But on Thursday, after those two games, the other teams get involved as well, too. So we're going to talk real quick about the Houston Astros. The hated Houston Astros outside of Houston. And Tad Bamford's beloved Chicago White Sox. Tony LaRusa, the whole gang. The other white and black team, those unis, similar to my janks, and obviously on the other side we'll talk about my Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, boy. And those, I don't know, are they exciting, Atlanta Braves? Sure, why tell not? Me, you tell me, Tap. Are the Braves I, I, look, exciting? You, are the Braves exciting? Is that, is this, uh, let's start here. Is, and we'll finish up with your White Sox. 
Is the Braves-Milwaukee series exciting to you? Absolutely it is. Okay. It absolutely is. And, and the reason why is um, when you look at when these teams got together. Uh, so Milwaukee-Atlanta, I think one of the things that we'll, we'll talk about in this series, obviously, is in the full, full season since Hank Aaron died, the two cities where he played. Um, obviously with the Braves making the move from Milwaukee to Atlanta and then finishing up with the Brewers. Um, but they, they played each other twice this year. Uh, the road team won two of three each time, May 14 to 16. The Braves won two out of three in Milwaukee and outscored the Brewers 20 to 14 in those three games. And then July 30 to August 2 in Atlanta, the Brewers won two of those three, but they were outscored 14 to 12 in those three games. So um, let's wrap this thing in a little bit of context here. Ronald Acuna Jr. only played in one of the six games that these two faced each other this year. Okay. So the the Braves weren't playing with arguably their best, certainly their most talented player all year. Um, and he did not make an impact on this head-to-head really much at all this year. Um July 30 to August 2 was wrapped around the trade deadline. Atlanta went out and got a fully new outfield at that time. And uh, and so they were kind of mixing and matching still over those two days because not everybody was able to jump straight into the lineup. So you had a little bit of drama in Atlanta with them acquiring not one, not two, but three new outfielders in a, in a shot there. So these are teams that haven't played each other in a while. Um, and you're going to have just some, some differences in what this Atlanta Braves team, the way that it's constituted looks. And I think one of the guys that we don't really certainly talk about anywhere close to being enough is Ozzy Albies is one of the best second basemen out there. And when, when these two teams go at it in game one on Friday night. Um, Charlie Morton, another old man, is going to go at it with, with Corbin Burns as the uh, slotted pitching matchup, it looks like. And then Atlanta's going to go Max Freed, it looks like, in game two. So the Milwaukee, we talked about it last week. Um, they were playing with house money this year for half a season once the Cubs imploded. Um, and the Cardinals were mediocre enough for enough of the season that they were really never within really 10 games until the middle of September. And so they were able to pull away and try to keep everybody healthy, but now they got to turn it on. And the, the trade that changed everything for Milwaukee was bringing in Willie Adamas. And, you know, he was part of Tampa's World Series run last year. And he came over, and that's when everything catapulted for the Brewers. And they decided to, to take off and, and go flying. And when you start thinking about guys who are going to make an impact, Willie Adamas appeared in 99 games for the Brewers, 366 on base percentage. He was a three-and-a-half war player and basically two-thirds of a season, hit 20 homers and drove in 58. He was third on the team with – 20 home runs. And a lot of that's because Christian Yelich was basically a non-factor all year. 
Luis Urias led them uh, with uh, was second with 23 home runs. Avisael Garcia had 29 to lead the way. Uh, the other big pickup for them was Eduardo Escobar. Uh, they were able to steal him from Arizona, and, and that was a big pickup for them. But, you know, I look around at, at this Brewers team, and I'm like, hey, their pitching's going to have to carry the day, and their pitching hasn't been as good as advertised here down the stretch. And you look at Atlanta, and Charlie Morton's been terrific. Max Fried's been terrific. But it is a completely different team right now as constituted than Milwaukee saw. And Milwaukee got outscored 34-26 in the six games that they played against each other this year. Mm-hmm. So, and that's Atlanta again. They're outscoring them with Ronald Acuna Jr. only playing in one of those six games and the fully newly constituted outfield really not taking shape until after they were done with each other on the 2nd of August. So, I... I I, I would not say that Milwaukee is in any way, shape, or form a, a huge prohibitive favorite in this series. Yes, Atlanta won the uh, the American or the National League least this year. Yeah, they they were, had to get hot to to win coming in, and they only won eighty eight games. But they played well down the stretch, and that's not the same. Milwaukee lost four in a row to finish the regular season, so. Um, you're going to have one team that had to win it at the end, and you're going to have another team that won it in July and now has to flip that switch that we talk about and figure out how to get hot at the end. And it's going to be interesting to see if Milwaukee can indeed flip that switch and get hot now that it matters again. Yeah, uh, they counted 18 wins for the Braves there uh, to finish out the season, 14 wins there for the Brewers. Uh, they did lose seven to the Cardinals there. Um you know, I, I guess we got to talk about Brian Snitka here and Craig Carcel and Council, I should say, in um, in Milwaukee. You know, you take both of these teams here. I mean, look, this is a it's a short series, but if either of these teams are serious, you know, because if they they look ahead at who they're going to have to play on the other side, right? Uh, if they get out of this, and if you if you look at the monsters that the Giants are, and let's say you know whoever they play, St. Louis or L.A., whoever comes out of that series, even if it's St. Louis too, uh, because of how well they play, they're going to earn their way. If they if this if the Cards get on the other side, they'll have earned their way. They'll have beat the two best teams in the National League, obviously. So Milwaukee and Atlanta here have an opportunity against each other, obviously in a, in a short series, but to show if they're um, serious or not. I, I think Milwaukee here, you know, great all regular season long. Do not look impressive. Kind of got a bit boring here towards the end of the season, especially for me. But then again, I got too caught up in my Yankees here. And then the Braves, again, like I said, we joke the National League least. There's not too much. So that's why I joke about when I asked you before, you know, is this series really interesting? And if either of these teams, whoever gets out of this series, do they really have a sniff of a chance against whoever they're going to go up on, on the other side here? But anyway, like I said, you're here. You get a fresh start. Series. Um, talk about Snitker and, and Council and, and what you see from either of those two the guys as far as managing in this series. Well, I think the guy that's got the biggest problem right now is Craig Council. I think Snitker, again, he was handed a totally new outfield, and he was able, he's got matchups now. He's got lefties, he's got righties, he's got power, he's got finesse, he's got Albies and Freeman still. Austin Riley would be an MVP candidate in a lot of other seasons. He's got a deep lineup, he's got a good lineup, and it's moving now. 
Um, his pitching staff is is fairly well put together. I think having Morton and Freed going one two is big for them. Um, Council is a mad scientist who is incredibly driven by analytics, and here is the problem that he has: his starters have thrown a, a pretty healthy amount of innings this year. Um, they have not all been great down the stretch. And they were dealt a really tough blow with the way that they manage games and the way that Council weaponizes his bullpen when you find out after we taped last week that Devin Williams, last year's National League Rookie of the Year, and their lockdown, shutdown, eighth-inning guy before they give it to the untouchable Josh Hader, uh, decided in a Kevin Brown moment that he would get bent like a coat hanger celebrating them winning the division and then get upset and punch a wall with his pitching hand. Yeah, way He's to go, done. Pal. Good stuff. Moron. So <sighs> the loss of – you can't overstate enough how big of a hit that is to their bullpen. That is a big part of Craig Council's game plan. And now he's going to have to mix and match. And it's going to be interesting to see with, you know, his big three starting pitchers to see, like – a, like after Burns, what order they go in, and B, what they do with middle innings with their bullpen. And, you know, how, because I think both teams are going to generate offense in this series. I think Atlanta's team has a more potent lineup top to bottom than Milwaukee's. Um, but it, the loss of Devin Williams is huge. So you're right. Like, it, it's hard. I think that there's enough respect for both sides that they won't look ahead. Uh, but it's going to be really hard for Council, who should be favored in this series because they ran away with their division and hit for three months, you know, to flip the switch, get these guys back on track, and then have to navigate a bullpen that has been dinged up and is down one of its really big pieces. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Craig Council uses his bullpen and how he moves the dominoes around uh, to make that, Again, they're like Tampa. They they try to get 27 outs faster and with fewer damage than you do. So how does he do that now without Devin Williams and with a, a rotation that needs to you know put their big boy pants on and get after it here? So a very interesting series. And who's your pick to click there, pal? Uh, I absolutely love Ozzie Albies. I'm going to ride Ozzie Albies in that series. I think he is a guy that signed a terrible contract for him because I think he'd be a $30 million a year player if he hadn't signed long-term for peanuts. Um, and he's just exciting. He's everything that you want. He's a little dude. I mean, he's shorter than me, and I'm in no way, shape, or form what you would consider tall. Um, you know, there's an 11-year-old on my son's baseball team who's taller than me. Uh, small dude, swings a big stick. Uh, steals bases, plays good defense. He's, he's a superstar, and I think you're going to see that here on display in this series. So I'm going to ride Ozzy Albies in this series. Do you have a pick to click from your fighting Brewers, and who do you think gets out of the series? I'm also going to say Atlanta wins the series in four. I hate to say it, but I'm going to take the Braves in this series, and primarily because of the way they've been playing. Uh, in in the month, and I just I hate to say it, but the Brewers have just basically gotten boring, and I just don't think they're gonna um, they're gonna pull this out. I mean, I just I it, it doesn't. They were so much fun during the beginning of the season for me, and obviously we were having fun too. Obviously playing the Central and everything with the Cubbies and stuff, but um, I just think um, the Braves will just kind of find a way to to 
to out hit, out play, and and you know with the excitement that the uh, you know the, the franchise has kind of felt here in the last month here and getting in and winning the division because winning the division is a pretty big deal, you know, and I think they earned their spot here. And I talked about it in the last show, too, as far as Milwaukee just not playing inspiring baseball, not playing a division-leading type of baseball. And we've talked about this with the other division leaders and how this was going to, um, you know, play out towards the end in terms of uh, who they match up with and, and you know, in terms of, uh, you know, that vibe and that feel. So we'll see. I'm not feeling uh, Milwaukee right now. I think just the Braves uh, will find a way uh, with, with basically everything that you just said and as far as Snitker here and, and uh, all the different uh, weapons that he's got to uh, to throw at the Brewers, who I think personally have been kind of snoozing this month, and I think they're going to get the the snot smacked out of them. Yeah, I think I think it's a rough rough road here for Milwaukee, which I've covered games up there, credential the last few years. I was in the visiting clubhouse when the Dodgers uh, went to the World Series. Milwaukee shows out. Their fans are passionate. That place will be bopping. The tailgating scene in Milwaukee for baseball is outstanding. Um, so it, it'll be it'll be fun in both towns. But I just Milwaukee has looked deflated, and they were able to take the, the division for granted. I would have liked to have seen more from them down the stretch with the Cardinals and the Dodgers to close out the season. They didn't show me much of anything, and. I just, it, it's it's tough, and Atlanta's coming in playing better baseball, and again, totally different lineup than they saw when they played each other in May and wrapping the trade deadline weekend with July thirtieth to August second. Totally different Atlanta lineup, and this lineup has been playing pretty well. So, uh, I think it sounds like we're both going to ride Atlanta to advance to the National League Championship Series. Yes, we agree. We agree. I mean, just looking at, uh, you know, it's just the averages here of, uh, you know, guys like Peterson and Adrian's and stuff and Albies, like you brought up, and Riley, too. I mean, these guys are just – I mean, the top of their order, man, is just so strong right now. I just mm-hmm. think it, it outmatches what Milwaukee's going to be throwing at them. So. Well, and bringing in guys like Soler, who they can platoon with Rosario. and I mean, you literally have like five or six 40-homer guys in that lineup. And you're talking about a Milwaukee team that had three guys get to 20, and one of them they acquired a third of the way through the season. So um, I just – well, it, it, and you know what? The fun thing is that this is why they play the games, and I think that is the series that the fewest people will be paying attention to or caring about. And so, you know, that might help both sides of, of mm-hmm. the equation there, but – um, but I think Atlanta just brings in the fact that they had to fight and earn it down the stretch, and that means something. And I think that the fact that they had to earn it to get in will help them in a series against a team that's got to hit, flip a switch pretty hard. And I think of all the teams in the postseason, Milwaukee probably came in the coldest. And they had the ability to, so let's not, like, crap on the fact that they dominated a mediocre division. Um, but they came in the coldest, and it's it. yes, the lights are bright, and yeah, guys are professionals, and they're going to show up, and they're going to put their big boy pants on and every other cliche that you want. But Atlanta's coming in playing well. They had something to play for all the way to the end, and it just the additions, their GM did a masterful job. 
at the deadline of giving Snitker what he needed with Noah Cunha to, to get after it. And now Snitker's actually got pieces that he can rotate around and move to different spots. And he's got contact guys. He's got a lot of thunder. I just, I think Atlanta's too good. And we, we joked about it, but I was like, yeah, maybe winning the National League least was a good thing because you got to avoid San Francisco, L.A., yep. whoever won the West. And I think it, it, Atlanta's going to take advantage of a down Milwaukee team that's missing a big part of their bullpen and roll into the NLCS and wait for the Giants and winner of Dodgers Cardinals to figure that sort out the other divisional series. Yeah, I mean, look, they're in a, they're in a great spot. You know, we talked about as far as um, you know the the trades, the trading deadline, and and teams that were going to make a move, and you know uh, the ones that have made the, the 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 moves are pretty much here, and you know Atlanta is definitely uh, one of them. So it's it's good stuff. Look, it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, we get to watch it, and we'll see how it pans out, and you know maybe the Brewers will surprise everybody. But this is it, man. You take a big deep breath, you stretch, you get up, you get in a box, and you give it a whack. All right, buddy. It's time to head to the south side of Chicago. Woo-hoo! With the two dinosaurs, Dusty Baker and Tony La Russa. Going to play catch. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I mean, look, you, you, look, you, don't, you, you don't even have to ask me right now about my pick to click. I hope the White Sox thrash the Astros upside down, in and out. Chew them up and spit them out and leave them on the sidewalk. No disrespect to Dusty Baker. I can't stand the Astros. Yeah, look, I, we, we, we talk about all these managers, and you talk about Alex Cora having been there and done that. You talk about Tampa got to the World Series last year. Um, you know, we, we talk about Shelton Roberts and Kapler and all these other managers. The real deal here is that there is – I don't know that there has ever been – a matchup of managers with resumes as strong and deep as Dusty Baker and Tony La Russa. And Baker's been doing it for a long time. He's not in the Hall of Fame yet. He will be someday. And as we've talked about throughout this year, controversially, Tony La Russa's already in the Hall of Fame, and here he is dusting, dusting it off. He made it through back. the season, buddy. He's here. He did. <laughs> he did. He did. Uh, so breaking down the head-to-head this year uh, – Astros swept the White Sox in four, June 17 to 20, outscored the White Sox 27 7. There's a beatdown. Uh, and then July 16 to 18, uh, three game set on the south side of Chicago. The White Sox won two of the three and outscored the Astros 15 to 8. Uh, so the total numbers lopsided for the Astros. Um, White Sox have not uh, added. As of the time of this recording, name their game one starter yet. Uh, you know, Lance Lynn was a little dinged up down the stretch. Carlos Rodon was dinged up down the stretch. They both had great years, but were a little mangled here at the end. Um, here, here's my game changer for you, though. We talked about how Atlanta was a completely different team, at least from an outfield perspective, than what you saw when they actually played against each other. You had seven games between the Astros and White Sox this season uh, and five of the seven were won by Houston. 
couple big missing pieces for the White Sox in those games, and their names are Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. Mm-hmm. And Luis Robert only played in 68 games this year. Uh, was still a 3.6 WAR player, which is insane. That if you you know double that and he plays in 130 games, he's a seven WAR player, which puts him in Shohei territory. Uh, had six stolen bases, 13 home runs, 43 runs batted in, uh, batted 338 with a 378 on base percentage and 946 OPS this year. As I said, Luis Robert is probably one of the top five or six players in baseball, as far as I'm concerned. If you give him a full season, he's going to just blow torch people. And then Eloy Jimenez only appeared in 55 games after his why on earth would you climb the wall moment in spring training. Still hit 10 homers with 37 runs batted in, had a 740 OPS. Um, to say what you want to say about that when they played each other this year is great. But Yasmani Grandal did not play in all the games. He's been great. But just so since he came back off the injured list, uh, Luis Robert has been stupid. In August, he had 72 at-bats, and he had a 1041 OPS. In September, he had 98 at-bats. He had a 1031 OPS. Since coming off the injured list, he has uh, 33 runs batted in and 11 home runs. He batted 361 in August and 367 in September. The dude is raking. And he comes in over his last 30 days with a 10, with a 1029 OPS. He's a, a special player. He's an elite talent. And you're going to see a White Sox team here that got in against Oakland last year and learned a little bit. But they are coming in with their lineup now uh, as close to being fully intact as it's really been all year. You know, Grandal missed some time with the knee injury. Uh, you know, in the second half of the season, they've got Grandal, they've got Robert, they've got Jimenez, they've got a murderer's row lineup, and a lot of them are playing really well. So for me, I, I look at this and I'm like, okay, so Houston's got a ring. Um, Carlos Correa's in a walk year. That's a big deal. They were without Alex Bregman for a big part of the season, which is a big deal. But when you look at the head-to-head and the, and the games that they played against each other, uh, you know, there was no Alex Bregman, so that'll be different for the White Sox. Uh, but I think that him being older than Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, they, their pitching staff has at least seen him a little bit more. But the guy who had the best performance against the White Sox in those seven games that they played against each other was a guy named Abraham Toro, who they traded to Seattle at the deadline, who blew up for them. You know, Yuli Gurriel had a nice 375 on base percentage. Michael Brantley had a nice 370. Correa, 346. But there's going to be plenty of offense. You're going to be looking at which pitching staff can can get out of there uh, with the fewest bruises. And that's going to be what we're going to have to keep an eye on because both teams have got a loaded offense. They've got managers who have been through this ringer before. And you just wonder which team is going to be able to pitch enough to get out of it. And it'll be fascinating to see how these two old dogs who do it as much by gut as they do by the, the iPad and the analytics to see how they use their bullpens, how they run their starters, 
uh, and how they, you know, it will small ball play a factor. I think it will. And, and who pulls the trigger on the bunt when they need to. So this, I, I said it last week and I still believe it now. This will be the best series of the entire postseason. Larusa Baker, Astros, White Sox, a team that has a World Series that a lot of people have the same emotions towards them that you do, Paul. Put the asterisk on it, take it away. They cheated. It's on the record. We know that they cheated. They are out for blood, and they want to prove that they can win one honestly. And you got a White Sox team that's still on the up-and-come, and they are ready to show everybody that they're for real. So this is, good. This is going to be a knockdown dragout, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, some great storylines here, and I, I think the uh, I agree with you. The Astros are really going to be um, going to win this series and get close. They they want the ring this year. They want to prove all the naysayers and the haters and everything else. Um, so no doubt about it. Um, how are they playing to close out the season here? Um, Ninety three wins for the Sox, fifteen wins to close out the season. They uh, seven and three in their last ten. Uh, Astros at seventeen wins, and they went four and six in their last ten too. Ninety five wins. Uh, both of these teams respectfully. The, you know, the, the guys, you know, you laid it out there. I mean, you, t- you take this Astro team and who's left and, you know, who's going to play out there and, and all the things they have to prove. And then, you know, we, we, we talk about the Astros organization here. And a guy, because that is hard to, I mean, as much as I load the guys in the lineup, I love the guy managing the team, and that's Dusty Baker. Yep. And, you know, you put that up against Tony La Russa too, and, with all the joking aside and the questions about him taking this team, the rocky start in the beginning, we miss Yerman Mercedes, all those guys. <laughs> but you know, you the gotta, yeah, you, you gotta hand it to to Tony to be here. And you know, I, I want to ask this to you: take the two lineups aside. Where where does this fall for a guy like Tony Larusa coming back into the league at his age? getting this series against a fantastic Houston Astros team, no doubt about it. And then Dusty Baker, for him, on a personal side too, obviously wanting to get the ring, but also taking this team, this team that's been, you know, tarnished, so to say. I mean, those are pretty two big tanks that are kind of heading at each other here. So I just want to get your take on, on, on that outlook for just these two guys. Take the lineups away for a minute. Yeah, and I think you great question, and it, it, you've got guys that have completely different mindsets going into this from an external perspective, but I think that they're very similar when you actually talk to the two guys, and that is Dusty Baker was the perfect hire for the Astros because everybody hates the players, but nobody hates Dusty. Yep. And he's been through the wars, and he gets it, and he was the perfect manager to wear it and take these guys through the uncharted waters of being the most hated team in baseball. For Tony La Russa, I mean, look, Tim Anderson said that they were World Series or bust back in spring training. And when you bring in La Russa with what they showed last year when they were still up and coming, and now they're, you know, a division champion, um, this is a legacy play for Tony La Russa. He came out of retirement because he saw a team that was ready to win the whole damn thing, and he wants to go get another ring. And I think that while nationally people don't look at the White Sox in the same way that they look at, I think the Astros to an extent, certainly the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, because they're the, the, the little brother in Chicago, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
inside the room with the White Sox, there's a swagger and a belief, but there's also an expectation that this is this is a year for them. This is where they put their stamp on the game. And, you know, you look back 16 years ago when the Astros were in the National League, this was the World Series. And on paper, the Astros were the better team. They had Biggio and Bagwell and Clemens and Pettit, Oswalt, and the White Sox thumped them. And this White Sox team is a hell of a lot better on paper than the 2005 White Sox were. So it'll be it, you've got some some bullpens that are tired. You've got some starters. McCullers is going to start game one again. The Sox haven't decided what they're doing there. But you've got a couple guys that, again, are going to manage from the gut with an informed gut approach uh, with the analytics being a factor there, but they've been through it enough that they're not going to rely on the iPad to make their decisions. And, you know, I think with on Chicago's side, with the way that their starting rotation has been dinged up a little bit here down the stretch, you look at their big trade deadline acquisition, and I would submit like Chris Sale coming back for the Red Sox that, uh, you know, the reemergence of Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert were their big ads down the stretch to the lineup. But their big move at the deadline was Craig Kimbrell, and frankly, that didn't work. He has not functioned very well in an eighth-inning role. Hendricks has been lights out still in the ninth, but there was a rough stretch there where the two of them didn't know how to coexist. And, you know, Kopech throws just liquid feces, and Garrett Crochet is sitting at 102 with a big leg kick. They got different arm angles. They got different stuff. They've got more gas than just about anybody. I mean, they were. They, I think I saw a tweet the other day that they had like a thousand more pitches over 95 miles an hour than anybody else in baseball this year. So they're going to bring it. And so, how those two managers use the weapons at their disposal and their bullpens and what they can, what their starters still have left in the tank is, you know, we talked about Aaron Boone and. How long do you ride Garrett Cole in a one-game scenario? you got a five-game scenario here, which each game is as critical as that one-gamer. How do they ride their uh, starters, and what what, are the, what does their bullpen do for them? Because these guys are going to make decisions that not everybody's going to agree with at times. So how do, how do they confidently go out there and pull the trigger when they do? And when they do, how does it work out for them? Um, but both teams are coming in with – lineups that are dangerous top to bottom. And so I think this is going to be a really entertaining series. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. And I think it goes to the distance. I think it goes a full, 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 full gamut of games. Yeah. Let's have it. Let's, let's have a full five. I want it. So look, tab, I mean, you know who I want in this series, you know, who I think is going to win in this series. I can imagine who you want in this series, but who do you think is going to win this series? I think the White Sox win it in five, and I think that your breakout national star in these playoffs is Luis Robert. I think he takes a step into that conversation with guys like Tatis and Acuna and Juan Soto. I really do, and Vladdy Jr. I I think he is that special of a player, and he's played so well since he's come off the injured list, making up for lost time. I think he jumps out on the national stage in these playoffs and becomes a household name. And you will be fearing La Pantera, his nickname, uh, for years to come on the south side of Chicago. So I'm going to go Sox, and I think Luis Robert is your game changer. Yeah, top of that uh, White Sox line was pretty good with Anderson, too, and Abraham Grandel. And uh, I'm going to look out for Sheets there in the DH spot there, too. 
making a big difference for the White Sox. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's a, a first baseman by trade that gets some running left, he gets some running right. He's hit the ball pretty well this year. He and Andrew Vaughn are a couple young guys that have had ups and downs this year, but Sheets has played well down the stretch, and he played pretty well against Houston this year. So, yeah, Gavin Sheets is is a is an interesting guy to keep an eye on. But again, both of these managers have so many bats. Yep. How do you how do you use them, and who do you put out there, and what matchups do you like more than others? So, um, you might not have the same starting nine in every game from either manager because of, of them having a gut feel or liking something more than something else. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that one's going to be a barn burner, and I'm looking forward to it. That one goes off, uh, time still TBD, but that'll be uh, the two American League division series go off on Thursday night. It depends night. on how much they love the children in Houston and Chicago. No, they don't. <laughs> If you've got if you've got oh, the Yankees, man. they'll they'll be at eight o'clock and Yankees at inside. But you know what? I I think that they'll probably. I hate that they've got two American League games on the same night. Obviously, with the National League wild card, they couldn't roll that uh, on. Even though they probably could have gone with the two division series that weren't playing, but you get the full you get the full run on Friday night. So we'll we'll look forward to having all four series playing a game. On Friday night, but uh, but yeah, Thursday night you get uh, both American League Division Series kicking off, and you'll get your first look at White Sox Astros. There is a whole lot of baseball coming your way these next couple of days and these next couple of weeks, and it all means everything, and we're here for it. It's been a great regular season. Twenty-eight episodes there today, together today, there, Mister Bamford, and we're gonna come back Thursday morning. We have to. Steve Larmer episode. Yeah, baby. I'll talk about why Larmer's jersey isn't up there yet. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there one way or the other. Anyway, it's uh, the schedule is made tomorrow night, Wednesday night, wild card games, then the division series start. It's a great time to be a baseball fan, especially in the cities that are left in the dance right now. And you couldn't ask for uh, some better matchups. Again, we'll see how Milwaukee and Atlanta pan out, but uh, I think the rest of the series are all pretty much dynamite. So, look, yes, as sure. always, thank you so much for listening to Line Drive Radio. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. Hang out with me and Tab on Twitter. Check us out there, our personal accounts there. And thanks to Revival Podcasts for having us this regular season as we will move forward with only playoff baseball talk from here on out. So, with that said, Tab, I took the boy down to the, the ballpark yesterday and we were hitting and pitching down to the ballpark to a little baseball for the Yankee game yesterday. He's fired up for the Yanks. So, Tab, as always, say goodbye to the folks. Get out there, play catch with the kids. Uh, remember, folks, hydrate and caffeinate because you're going to have to stay up late to watch these things. But we got some good series coming. Get ready for playoffs. Woohoo! And thanks for the Foo Fighters stuff, brother, early in the show. Maybe I'll sneak in a picture, girl. Then we'll try and get this autograph for you. All right, pal. There you go. There goes my hero. And with that, Line Drive Radio is done for today. Go play ball. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the wild cards. We'll see you on Thursday. Take care. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. 
But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.